0: Let me invite you to join us for today's encounter with the truth as Dave Wurtzen turns our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 12. What was the tithe used for in the Old Testament? What did Israelites do when they got together to worship three times a year in Jerusalem? Was the God of the Old Testament a cosmic killjoy? Here's Dave to help us discover the exhilarating celebration of the true worship of the biblical God, as he continues our study titled "Worship: Who, Where, and How." Now Moses goes on after talking about the destruction of the Canaanite worship, because I'm going to talk about the one place that he wants the children of Israel to worship. He says in verse four. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Don't worship the Lord God like the Canaanites. Don't destroy your babies. Don't feel you can manipulate the deity with sexual acts. Don't believe that, that violence is part of the worship of God. All of that was part of what Moses was saying. But instead, you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. The burnt offerings were sacrifices that were put on the altar and totally consumed. They were totally burnt up, and they were a total devotion, a total sacrifice to the Lord. The second word there was a sacrifice that would not be totally consumed. The Lord would be given the fat portion so that the children of Israel have good cholesterol counts, and that fat would be completely burnt up. And then a portion of the, of the breast of the animal would be given to the priest. The right leg would be given to the priest. But the rest of the animal was to be consumed by the friends and the family of the offer. And so the, the, the second kind of sacrifice, you need to think of like a big Thanksgiving meal where you focus on expressing your dependence upon the Lord you're, you're rejoicing in the blessings that he's given to you, and also the idea of sharing together in a family community of love. That was the idea of the second word, sacrifices. You also were to give your tithes and your, and your special gifts. The tithes were offerings that were brought. They would make the farmers. It was an agrarian culture. They would have the farmers bring a tenth of their produce, And three times a year they would make a journey as this began to develop and the Lord God chose various places like Shiloh was one of the first places that he chose. And then it moved to different places under King David. The Lord focused it on Jerusalem and slowly but surely Jerusalem became the place where the Lord put his name. And three times a year they would bring their tithe. And I want to understand, contrary to a lot of the teaching that many of you have had through the years, the tithe was not something that, you know, your pastor just signed you up for. It's totally different than obligation. In fact, even in the Old Testament, the tithe was something that a farmer and his family would set aside. They would go to a central sanctuary three times a year. You know what they did with their tithe? The Lord said, if it's too far away, we're going to learn this in Deuteronomy 14, if it's too far away, sell your stuff and get the money because it'll be easier to carry. When you get down to the central sanctuary in Jerusalem, buy whatever you want. Buy lamb if you like mutton, if you're Texans, buy beef. And get some good drink and get some good fellowship with your friends. Be sure to include the Levites that minister among you. And have a blast for more than a week. Just have a great big national celebration. How many of you think that's really a hard-nosed, guilt-ridden God? In fact, over and over again in this cold, dark Old Testament that people always talk about, over and over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord says, "I I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. I want you to have a big holiday. That's what the tithe was used for. Preachers are afraid to tell you that. The tithe was something that people consumed in their meals, where they rejoiced with their family. And it was a precious thing to do. It wasn't something they did have obligation. It was something that expressed the goodness of God upon them. It was a way to be able to take the very first blessing of the harvest and be able to say, Lord, you're the one that gave me this harvest and I'm totally dependent upon you. You brought the rain, you brought the sunshine, and Lord God of heaven, I want to gather together with my friends and my family and the priests and the Levites because we want to confess to you that we're totally dependent upon you and we rejoice in your love and provision. That's what they did in the Old Testament with their tithe. And we need to recapture some of that. But I do want to say this, as it talks about bringing tithes and offerings, one of the greatest joys of my life and my relationship with the Lord is to be able to look at how he provides for me. My own family, it started as a little kid. As my parents would give me my allowance, I learned to take a portion of that and give it to missionaries, to give it to things so that Things like a WANA program, in our case it was Boy and Girls Brigade, Pioneer Girls and Boys Brigade, to be able to give money so that those things could happen. And my dad and mom would teach us that that one of the ways that we express our dependence upon our Lord and our thanksgiving for the way that he supplied is to be able to give. I just recently had a, a great illustration of the joy that comes in doing that and how the Lord responds. As I went to France, I, I took 50 Unexpected graces with me. And contrary to what a lot of people think, the publishers don't give those to you for free. And Mary said before you go, now you be absolutely sure that you get exactly what is due for those books. And she called me. In fact, I called her about halfway through the week, and we found out from the publishers they'd upped the price. I mean, the publishers are constantly upping prices. And she said, now you be sure to get that. I said, I gave them all away. In fact, I didn't tell her that then. I was too afraid over (laughs) long-distance phone. But the Lord just said, just give them away. I said, Lord, I don't know where I'm going to get. I mean, I don't know where I'm going to get the money to do that. He said, just give them away. I want you to do that. Just do it. And you know, there's a great thrill. There's a great freedom in doing that. I could start around this room. Some of you would have learned to do that. One of the richest pleasures in the family of God is just to give stuff away. And the neat thing about that, do, do, doing that, you can do it when you're poor, when you hardly have anything like the widow that just gave it away. You can also do it when, you're, when the Lord's bountifully blessed you. But one of the greatest thrills of the Christian life is just to have the freedom and just say, Lord, I'm dependent upon you. You're the one that enables me to work and keeps me alive and helps me to be able to speak and brings me to various places. I'm totally dependent upon you anyway, so I don't have to hang on. The last night I was there, it was just like being a camp with another missionary. We had a look for one of the kids that ran away. We walked around the forest of France for three hours. And I finally made it back because they had like a, a big children's program at the end of the week because the missionary kids... We're all in a a vacation Bible school of the week. And I got in for the end of their program. The head of the mission of team called me up and said, we want to give you a gift. And so they gave me this beautiful view of France from the sky, all written in French. And so I have to go through the agony of getting my French dictionary out, but just a beautiful book. There was also an envelope there. And in the envelope was an honorarium that I never expected. And you know what? just about covers the price of the books. Also, when I looked at my wallet at the end of the trip, I had more money in my wallet when I left, when I came back, than when I left. You know why? Because giving, just giving yourself, being willing to share, being generous, is what the tithes and offerings are all about. And, oh, I just, I just pray that, that, you, that every one of you will be able to have that kind of freedom and joy. And I'm not going to tell you the Lord will, will always repay you like that. He's not like a Nickelodeon slot machine in Las Vegas. You put in a nickel and it'll explode. That teaching isn't what the Bible saying. But the Bible is saying that part of your relationship with him, part of your walk with him, is to give from the way he's blessed you materially as a generous thanksgiving offering to Him. One of the ways that I express our worship for the Lord is by just being able to express my dependence upon my Lord and my love for Him. And one of the ways I do that is by my giving. I also want to just put a little parenthesis in here. You're the the art. I want every one of you to realize that. You are the art. You are the dwelling place of God. You're the sanctuary. This building is just a tool. It just provides a roof over our head where we can meet. And that's all that it is. Gothic cathedrals don't have little kids running all over the place singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you older ones, as you come in and you see those little children, you should rejoice, and I know that you do. Because you got a building that's loaded with little kids. You know what that means? It means you're alive. It means you're not a museum. It means you still believe that Jesus is resurrected. And if you think that isn't important, when I got back, I got a letter from Debbie Baxter. In that letter, she said, Since I was eight years of age, I've known Jesus as my Savior. And as I wrestle with leukemia, I want you to know that the support group I have is this group that's around me. She said, I never meant to be a celebrity, but I've never experienced so much love. Will you show me a dead religious faith, whether it's a beautiful cathedral or a rock building that's just stark and ugly? You show me a religious faith that can help you to look at the challenge of life and death and have a peace and a holy gentleness, most of all a deep-seated confidence. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ. If we really believe that, and if I really believe it, that's why we need to go and try to encourage those missionaries working in a land that has very few witnesses to that kind of faith. But also, right here, we need to accept the challenge of what it's going to take to bring this message into hundreds and hundreds of boys' and girls' lives, and teenagers' lives, and adults. And the Spirit of God wants to come upon us to do that. Because Moses told those ancient Israelites there's going to be one place of worship. It's going to be centered in Jerusalem. But I want you to know something. As he develops the idea in this chapter, he goes on in this chapter to talk about the fact that if you want to eat meat, go ahead and eat it. You shouldn't be vegetarians. France is filled with vegetarians because the animals are holy. Deuteronomy 12 says if you're hungry, you want to have a good meal, go ahead. You can do it. The sacrifices that are especially for the Lord are to go to the central sanctuary. But if you want to have a good meal with your family, go right ahead. There's tremendous freedom in this chapter. Be very careful of any religion that begins to tell you, boy, don't do this, don't eat that, don't drink that, don't wear that. False religion always starts to say you can control the passions within by all of these rigid laws and dietary rules and regulations. Now, you need to be healthy. And the Lord God has given us a, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but he's called you to freedom. He's called you to enjoy your life. Contrary to so much of the teaching about what God really does. But one of the things this chapter does do, it says you've got to worship the true God In the place of Jerusalem where he chooses. And you need to do it according to his direction. Now you say, David, we close today. What does that mean to us? How does that all come home to us? What about the New Testament? The Jerusalem temple is gone. The central sanctuary was torn down. In 586, when Nebuchadnezzar came down, he destroyed the the Solomonic temple. Then Ezra and Nehemiah came back and they rebuilt it. And Herod the Great began one of the most incredible building projects in the ancient world. And when Jesus of Nazareth came, one of the most beautiful religious structures that had, that had ever been built was resting on Mount Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But in John chapter 2, and I want you to turn and let's look at how this idea of a central sanctuary relates to us in our time and in our place. In John chapter 2, The Lord Jesus said this, in John chapter 2, verse 19. This is right after he cleansed the temple of Jerusalem. So he was right in the precincts of this incredibly beautiful temple that really flowed out of Deuteronomy chapter 12 that Moses talked about. God had caused his name to dwell there, but he said this. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. That's the miraculous sign that will prove to you by which authority that I do all this. The Jews replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple that he had spoken about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. What was the point of Deuteronomy chapter 12? And you can read through it again in, in in your own personal time. The point of Deuteronomy chapter 12 is that there needs to be a central sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? The English word sanctuary connotes a place where I'm going to be safe. It connotes a place where I'm going to find protection. It connotes a a sanctuary, connotes a place of holiness. A place of set-apartness where I can be close to God. The reason a lot of people go to a beautiful cathedral is to sit quietly in a dark corner and look at those beautiful, incredible, aesthetic beauty and the artistry, the architecture. They believe somehow they can catch the presence of God. That's what a sanctuary is. And that's why people go to it. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said something incredible. The Jews thought that the beautiful temple that Herod the Great had built, that took 46 years to build, they thought that was the place where you could meet God. And Jesus said, no. Jesus said, I'm the temple. You see, the Lord God of heaven doesn't want to be like Queen Victoria or Queen Elizabeth that sits in a, in a rock, bejeweled, nonetheless, kind of coffin. And people file by it and and it makes hundreds of thousands of dollars for the building. But the person just corroding underneath all that wealth. There's still just a skeleton there. The Lord God of heaven says, that's not what I'm calling you to. I don't want you to be into buildings. I don't want you to be into cinder blocks. The Lord God of heaven chose to come to this planet and he became a man. He became a man who could hug you. He became a man that could talk to you. He became a man that could hear your requests. He became a man that could fully experience all that you experience in life. And he did that because he loved you. And he left aside all the grandeur of his heavenly dwelling place. And it says in John chapter one that the divinity, that the word became flesh and he dwelled among us and we beheld his glory. As we move into the New Testament, the central sanctuary that was so important in the Old Testament, God begins to open up his beautiful history lesson book and says, Now the presence of God, God himself, is going to dwell and is present in Jesus, the Son of God. In fact, that's why Jesus was put on the cross. Remember the accusation? The accusation that was made as Jesus was brought before Caiaphas, they brought in a witness and said he was going to destroy the temple. And it reminds us that he wasn't speaking about the Jerusalem temple. He was speaking about the temple of his body. On the cross of Calvary, the temple of God was torn down for you. And the dark clouds of the judgment of God moved against the Son of God as Jesus took upon our sin and all the stuff that separates us from God. You see, the whole idea of that, what we learn in the book of Hebrews about the Old Testament tabernacle and then the Old Testament temple, the whole thrust of that, of that imagery is you can't get close to him. You need to stay away from him. You are unclean. You are sinful. Your animal sacrifices can never open the way for you to be able to walk into the presence of God. And you need to slay the blood of your animals because and you need to be very careful not to eat that blood. Deuteronomy 12 tells them twice, don't eat the blood. Why not? Because the life is in that blood. And you're not to feel that you can take the prerogative of God, which is life, and you can drink it into your body, and somehow you will receive strength. And be very careful. All occultism moves into that kind of drinking of blood and drinking in strength. The Lord God of the Old Testament said, no, when you sacrifice an animal, you pour the blood on the ground. You return it to the one who gave it because life is the gift of God. And it was a very special, sacred thing because one day on a cruel, rugged cross, a Roman soldier would plunge a spear into the tabernacle of God and the blood of Jesus Christ would pour out on the ground for you. And he would pour out his life, which was the payment that all of us deserved, so that he could open up the doorway, that you could walk right into the presence of the eternal God. On the third day, Jesus Christ took back life, because he was the author of life. And he resurrected from the dead, and he lives forevermore. He's eternal. And he comes to us today, and you say, Well, Dave, where is the central sanctuary today? In the Old Testament, they were, they were instructed time and time again to invite people to come and worship the Lord of Jerusalem and come to the outer court of the Gentiles where you can get near the presence of God. And you just told us that Jesus became the tabernacle of God. He became the central sanctuary. He became the, the place where I could meet God. But what about today? Where's the central sanctuary today? Is Notre Dame the central sanctuary? Absolutely not. Is Westminster Cathedral the central sanctuary now? In fact, I found out that we're the expression to, to take from Peter to pay Paul. Christopher Wren was beautiful in beautiful St. Paul's Cathedral in downtown London. And it was going to be the total counterpoint to St. Peter's in Rome, the Anglican Church versus the Roman Church. And so they took from St. Peter's to pay Paul. I learned a lot of neat things while I was away. But I want to share something else. Neither St. Peter's in Rome is a central sanctuary. I'm sorry it isn't. It's not the central place where you'll meet God. And I want to tell you something else. Christopher Wren was an incredible architect, but even St. Paul's in London is not the central sanctuary. You know what? I'm really thankful for that because it really needs to be washed. The dark soot of London for hundreds of years has turned it black and dark, and it really needs a good cleaning. And one of the things that you look in ancient buildings, you start to realize whether it's the pyramids or whether it's St. Peter's or whether it's Notre Dame or whether it's St. Paul's in London, all those human buildings begin to get watermarks and the stone begins to be etched away and you get this feeling the whole thing is dissolving. But I want to tell you something. God does have a sanctuary on planet Earth today. Turn over to 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter took this idea of the central sanctuary of God into a totally new dimension. When it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. Here it's saying that Jesus, the central sanctuary, is the foundation stone of a great cathedral. And then it says this. You also like living stones are being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you see those words? Let's look at them again. It says, you also are like living stones and you are being built into the spiritual house. You know where the sanctuary of God on planet Earth is today? You know where people can can meet God today? Through your life right through you. Just as as Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us, that same Lord Jesus, the moment that you believed in him, he came to dwell in your body. He came to dwell in your life. And our faith is totally different from the Old Testament faith, where they were supposed to go out and they were inviting people to come to Jerusalem, inviting people to come so they could get near to God you know what, you never have to go out this week and invite people to come to church next Sunday because you can get close to God. You can come to our church, and, and in our church you can find God. It's not true. You know what you can tell somebody? You can tell somebody, you know what, God lives right inside of me. Isn't that incredible? God lives right inside my heart. Now that would be an audacious, prideful statement if it wasn't for amazing grace. But it's true. Every one of you are the sanctuary where Jesus dwells if you've invited Christ in your heart. As you go out on your business, as you go out on the chaparral steel this week. You know what? Most of the guys that chaparral steel are turned off by clergymen. They're turned off by a whole history of what church has done to them and all that religion represents. You know what they need to see? They need to see the temple of God, you need to be Jesus Christ for them. Mary had breakfast, sat down after I left and flew back home, and then she left the next day. She sat down for breakfast, and there was a dear young girl that was there that just found out that she had a very serious disease. Just somebody that Mary had never met, and Mary was able to talk to her a little bit in the rush of trying to get to the airport. There wasn't time to say much. But she could say, I'm going to really talk to God for you. I'm going to really pray for you. The sanctuary. You're the sanctuary. And you can take that sanctuary into the schools, into your businesses, into all every walk of life. Because God, under the New Testament age, has said, I don't need cathedrals anymore. I don't want the Temple of Jerusalem. Not until the new heaven, new earth, then we'll have a permanent dwelling place again. But right now, God has chosen to do an incredible thing. You're his work of art to attract people to the living Christ. And you do it with your mouth, you do it with your feet, you do it with your hands. What an amazing, amazing gift that in this imperfect human flesh, Jesus Christ himself will dwell. But it changes the nature of everything. You need to take the presence of Jesus Christ who dwells in your life by faith. And you need to communicate him and be the light and be the one that can help people to know what it genuinely means to have a living relationship with Christ. You say, Dave, I'm not sure that Jesus dwells in my temple. I'm not sure that he's turned my body into a temple yet. That can happen in a moment of time. All you need to do is to believe in your heart. All you need to do is personally open up yourself and just depend upon him and say, Jesus, I know that you're God. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. A message that a lot of you have heard from the time you've been small. And I believe, I heard today again that you rose again from the dead. I've got to believe in someone. I know I'm going to believe in someone in my life. Jesus is the one that I'm really going to believe in.